Hello and welcome to Money Chill Out, the podcast to get inspired and feel good about your money. I'm Mike Afino, a woman in my 30s, ex-trader in the city of London, yoga teacher and owner of my financial empowerment business. On this podcast, I want to open up the discussion around money and investments and dive into personal finance management, which can be a great liberator, but also a huge stress factor in our lives. Every other week, I'll be joined by guests for conversations on money, mindsets, investment habits, and any best practices they abide by. So join me on this journey as we unpick the complexities of finance and get more comfortable talking about our money. You too can get financial peace of mind and it starts with empowerment and knowledge. Let's go. So hi, Yeza, how are you? Great, thank you for having me here. Thank you. So I'm super happy to have you on this podcast. So I know you have a very busy schedule. Uh, you were in Davos, you're traveling a lot. So really, thank you for taking the time. And especially to meet in person in Lisbon, like for, for a nice lunch. So um, I'm super happy to meet inspiring people in my new town. And you're definitely one of them. So that's great. <laughs> so you're working in finance. You have more than 20 years of experience and you're specializing in creating and restructuring organizations. You're passionate about innovation and you work alongside CEOs of tier one organizations, but also mid-sized companies and startups, and you craft strategies and execute tangible results. You're also an advisor to boards and private equity funds. And yeah, did I miss anything? No, that's a, thank you. That's a great introduction. I, I do agree. <laughs> I do agree that face-to-face is important. Uh, Lisbon's a fantastic place to meet people from all over the world who've been working on all sorts of interesting projects. But it, it's uh, become very much the tech and fintech hub. And my work over the last 20 years has been in restructuring organizations and creating digital transformation. So it's, it's, it feels like home. And I'm you know happy to, to be on your podcast. Amazing. So let's talk about Davos and everybody knows about it and the fact that the World Economic Forum is being held there. In the press, it's often described as the global elite and chief executives and and government leaders going there to talk about pressing issues. But being there yourself, how would you describe it? I would say I, I had my own set of preconceptions before going to Davos. My motivations for, for going were very much around understanding this, this global debate that has been held around the, the environment, policy making, around new technologies, financial services, and, and primarily in equality and, and inclusion across the world. And in an increasing globalizing world, they, it feels like more and more of these conversations just impact so many people. I I was interested in seeing how this group came together, but at the same time thought, well, it is described as a global need, only chief executives and sort of people at the top of their game, uh, government leaders, where would I fit in? So I had a very open mind trying to see how much I would benefit from it and, and how much I would gain. I would describe it as it is a large corporate offsite. I would describe it as that. I would describe it as... 100 countries represented or more cross-industry 
very many different agendas. Some people coming from a country lens, some people coming from an industry lens, some people coming from a social economic integration lens. It very much is a place of passionate people. I think everyone that, that, that I came across was passionate, driven, very, very much a knowledgeable group of people. All the interactions were very high quality, but a very, very large, varied group and, and a very interesting cross-section of the world. And because of that, very different than your average sort of technology only or, or finance only type of uh, conference that I would have been to in the past. Mm -hmm. And thanks for shedding a light because, yeah, it seems super interesting and pretty amazing, like the kind of people you meet. And actually, it's maybe one of the reasons that actually 2023 was the largest meeting in history of Davos. And when you think about the end of globalization that a lot of people have spoken about, why do you think such success? I think it's a success because there are very few events like this. And, and increasingly, the world is a more connected place. We've realized that when it comes to climate or finance or COVID, that, that we don't exist in isolation. And I think that's, that's a big part of why folks are, are much more outward looking in their work than, than maybe in the past. And I say that across industries, that wanting to collaborate, that feeling that we're, we're actually not alone, that we're impacted by others, even if we don't want to collaborate necessarily. But we, we are very aware of being impacted by others, uh, other countries' supply chain disruption uh, has become, you know, a thing that everyone is, is aware of. COVID, of course, goes without saying. So whilst a lot of people have written about the end of globalization, um, this type of event is successful because it brings together so so much of a wide set of the world and it does you know they might not necessarily agree on everything they don't need to they might not necessarily come to an agreement uh, on global issues they don't necessarily need to it's about being having your ears open to each other I guess and if you have to be coming to events like this to at least hear what others are up to and and gain a perspective on the world mm -hmm. and as you said there's more than hundreds countries represented which make it really open and welcoming even though you said you noticed a lack of gender diversity with not a lot of women I mean did it surprise you? <laughs> I think you know coming from two fairly male-dominated industries like technology and finance but also quite a I guess not socially diverse uh, industries as well we you know, we definitely do have a, have a bias there in the type of people that work in banking, finance, technology. There's an education bias, for, for example. You know, you have to have certain skills and access to education to be part of these industries on the whole. And so being very aware of that uniqueness and definitely that, that privilege that's attached to that. I wasn't necessarily expecting Davos to be a hugely diverse, near place coming with people from all sorts of backgrounds socioeconomically or, or location around the world but it did surprise me that it opened my eyes to the fact that these issues are global there was a lack of of gender diversity at Davos there was an equality lounge which was a really great space 
which anyone on your podcast can look into. It was a great place to discuss gender diversity and equality issues, inclusion issues, equality issues that face the world, not just finance and as an industry. And it, it did surprise me because it's a funny anecdote when uh, Jamie Dimon came to speak, you know, from JP Morgan at the Equality Lounge. It was the time I'd seen the most men in the room all week. So it, it is definitely work in progress. But it seems like it's working progress across all, you know, all regions. There, there wasn't necessarily a difference between industries or, or countries in that respect from what I was able to observe. Yeah, super interesting. So if we talk about Davos in itself, so can anybody come and, and buy your ticket or do you have to be recommended on a guest list or how does it work? So there is, um, like in every conference, there is the main event and then there is the fringe. So the, the events that are organized by private actors, private companies that usually sit outside of the main conference forum. And, um, and in that sense, anybody can come and if you want to set up an event or, or join an event that's free to attend, there are actually many of those outside of the main World Economic Forum conference itself. Um, the World Economic Forum is a place where people come with from many different perspectives. There are very many different working groups. So you can be invited to join a working group, say, like myself on data or on financial services regulation. You know, if you're if you're an experienced individual or an interested individual and in thought leaders, there are different tiers to the World Economic Forum. There are young leaders, there are entrepreneurs, there are you know senior experienced country leader groups. So they definitely do take a cross section at all levels, and and at that point it's by invitation, and you know depends on what your interest or professional background background is. So not necessarily anyone can come and buy a ticket. There are some tickets you can apply for. Uh, you have to apply well in advance for them or you, you are invited through a working group type of connection. And then after that come in the private companies, the BCGs and McKinsey's, the Accenture's, the Deloitte's of the world that will set up their own events in, in supporting their work, technology companies, there was even a fair amount of um, alternative finance, crypto, DeFi, blockchain being represented. Not as much, I have to say, not as much as maybe it was expected or would have been in previous years. But I think the, the recent FTX issues have have made that less of a less of a focus for the economic forum. Okay. And and the cost of attending is pretty hefty. So we're talking about something between $70,000 to $250,000, even though the World Economic Forum is a non-profit organization. So what do you do or who do you meet that would justify that kind of investment? I think the, the great majority of the people who, who go to the WEF are by invitation and, and with, it, with that comes a, a, a free ticket. And it, for a lot of the working groups, the costs are covered by the WEF as well. And, uh, and part of what finances that is the tickets that are sold to private corporates that, you know, have a higher, a higher price. And, and, you know, those companies are multi-billion dollar profit making. So um, I certainly didn't meet anyone of a small enterprise that had paid for a ticket. Those folks were largely given the free to attend tickets. I just myself didn't meet anyone who had actually paid outside of being a corporate. And, and that feels right to me. It feels like that if private entities want to be represented or want to have a place that they contribute, 
to the organization in the same way as every other conference would have sponsorship. I think this feels about the same. It does have a big reputation for being very elitist, but I think it's part of of the way it's positioned uh, in the media. What I found there was a huge cross-section of people from over 100 countries, and it didn't feel like a billionaire's conference. It felt like there were people driving businesses and industry and young leaders from every cross-section I met a lady from Brazil who is doing a, a corporation as she runs a business on helping people save. And uh, maybe it's because of my particular bias. I was looking for people in finance and financial inclusion. But I certainly met lots of people who by no means were the Jamie Diamonds of the world. I met lots of people who actually were there who had been contributing to work all over the year and through COVID for multiple years. And this was the opportunity to meet in person. So very much, uh, very much a unique, a unique event in that respect. Does it justify the price tag for somebody that is a business and is looking to connect? Well, I think there were many connections made. And from a sponsorship point of view, if you look at it instead of a ticket, a sponsorship is probably quite good value for money, considering the type of people and the size of the event. It's, it's you know thousands of people from all over the world there are very few events that will give you that coverage if you're a sponsor so it feels like it's value for money okay cool but thanks again for opening and and really saying what you think about the events because what we see from the press is pretty different to the reality so that's cool so how do you prepare for these kind of events so you said you were attending 80 different events in three days so that's quite a lot it is quite intense and actually like I said at the start I had my own preconceptions of, of going to Davos. I mean, certainly, you know, there is an expense to it because there's travel, there's accommodation. And accommodation is notoriously expensive in, in Davos because there's, you know, such a demand and people congregating in such a small place. So, I, you know, by no means do I not think it is. It is definitely elitist in the grand scheme of the world, certainly. They do work on inclusion and they do open up a lot of free and subsidised, uh, completely complementary to it, but but the the level of events, the intensity of it, tells you that people come to Davos really looking to invest, really looking to squeeze it for all it's worth. And preparation starts. I I had spoken to people who'd been before me to for advice, and they told me you have to prep and in advance set up your meetings and your schedule at least two, three, if not four months in advance. So that's exactly what what we did. When you start looking at the agenda, you realize that there are multiple interesting talks all at the same time. And you're sort of always torn between, well, what is my focus here? It's very important to, I think, keep your focus. Uh, What are the agendas that you're looking to learn more about? And, And those were my objectives. I wanted to go there and learn. I wanted to go there and connect with people with similar interests around financial inclusion, around fintech and the future of financial services, and generally around what the thinking is on policy and regulation around this space. So it was, it was, it was a great opportunity for me, but there was so much else that was also interesting. There were lots of talks on climate, lots of talks on crypto, lots of talks on just everything and anything, uh, journalism, freedom of speech, there was so much going on that you could just, it was intellectual candy land in a way. You could just find so much that was interesting. 
from my perspective, I've fitted my agenda very much around fintech financial services and, and financial inclusion, as well as gender equality. Those are my, my main interest groups. A lot of my friends say my Instagram feed is feminism and stray cats, and that's probably accurate. So I, I, it's it's where my passion and my interest lies. I think I'm at the point in my career with my various projects that I can and I can afford to chase my passions, and um, and I wanted to do that. I was oversubscribed. There was not enough time for all the events I wanted to go to. And also there are lots of impromptu meetings. You could be waiting for an Uber and suddenly strike up a conversation. Mm. People are actually very friendly within the context of it is a niche subset of people from around the world who are in these industries with this level of access and with this level of professional experience. But they're actually, everyone arrives with wanting to go to events wanted to make the most of it and wanted to meet as many people as possible. So there was quite a lot of impromptu conversations that derailed my schedule <laughs> because suddenly I was meant to be at event A, but I struck up a really interesting conversation on financing in Africa. And suddenly I, I was you know, having that meeting instead of the talk that I wanted to, to, to attend. But none of it was, was wasted time. I feel like it's built as a five-day event, but it's really three intensive days with an arrival on the Monday and a leaving on the Friday. And you certainly need to bring snacks with you. It is, there is no time for lunch. There is almost <laughs> no time because uh, we sort of started at eight and finished at eight again. And then there's networking drinks and so on, but we were, we were very sensible and decided to forego those just to be able to, to make the most of it. I already knew by the by the end of the first day that I would go again. That's that's how how intellectually stimulating and motivating it was. It's very inspiring. Yeah, but I can from the words you're using, I can definitely feel it and the energy as well. It sounds like I want to come too. <laughs> so so that's great. I, I'm I'm already working on it because we decided that four months wasn't enough prep. So now we're going, probably going to start talking about this over a drink in Caparica Beach in the summer. <laughs> Amazing. So this year, the theme was cooperation in a fragmented world, which is pretty relevant. Can you develop a bit? So one of the surprising things about, about Davos for me was how many country houses there were. So to explain the concept of a country house, there are events and sections of the conference that are around specific technical topics. So some around data, some around regulation, some about social policy, climate policy. But in the fringe outside the event, you had countries that have set up centers to foster uh, conversations around trade development, basically publicizing their capabilities, their talents, their development projects. So when the theme came up as a cooperation of fragmented worlds, there were those Greece house, India house, you know, Ukraine house, as, as you'd expect. It, there was just so many, Indonesia house, all, from all around the world. And it really did feel like a world fair. I don't know if, you, if your listeners know about sort of the, 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 um, the sort of affairs expos that go on and, you know, they were very prevalent in the sort of 90s and noughties and, and all around from, you know, the 60s and, and before. There were global fairs where countries would go and promote themselves, their industries. It did have a world fair feeling. And um, 
it was almost like the theme was inherent in the way that everything was set up. Can I tell you that I heard presentations that uh, talked a lot about international benchmarking, industry standard setting? Absolutely. So that globally we would be much more connected and much more cooperative. I also heard talks around changes in policy because of COVID and maybe not the end of globalization, but an increasing focus on regionalization, for example. But I didn't feel like the theme was just something that was tagged for the conference. It was inherent in, in, in WEF. It was inherent in, in, every, in everything that people were, were putting across. They, they wanted to connect. They wanted to discuss. They wanted to collaborate. Um, and that was, I think, the, the soul of the place was very much around that. I had my maybe preconceptions about it could be a, a glorified large networking event. But it, honestly, people were almost more focused on talking about the ideas than they were about, please let me take your contact details. There was, oh, there was obviously a lot of that at this conference, but people were really passionate about talking about ideas and sharing those ideas and making the world a little bit less fragmented. Mm-hmm. And so with this fragmentation going on with the current shift in economic policies and COVID and the recent invasion, and, and how do you feel that financial services companies can change the future? This is one of my focus areas, as I mentioned earlier, in going to F. I wanted to hear specifically around how is financial services going to evolve? We have, you know, with my with my focus on financial inclusion, I always want to make sure that the work that I do with either early stage fintech startups all the way to mid-corps or, or large tier one banks has always been about how can we be better reflections of the society that we operate in as a business versus a corporate social responsibility. I mean, my, I grew up in my professional life, you know, around the financial crisis of 2008. So this is topics very close to my heart. And I, and I wanted to maybe get out of my bubble and listen and learn more from other industries, other countries, other thinkers. I heard a lot, a lot, Marie, about regionalization as, because of supply chain disruptions. Whereas the ideas maybe a few years ago, pre-COVID, around financial services had been about super apps taking over the world and suddenly serving all the underbanked people in rural areas of the world. That was still the case as an ambition, but it felt much more regional. And I think those strategies of global super apps, you know, felt less, less more muted, less, less loud and more in favor of being very uh, regional and local and having that that in mind as a, as a way of preserving stability. Stability was was a, the, the second or third word that people would say after collaboration. They wanted to, to pivot, to progress, to move forward and capitalize on all the post-COVID opportunities within the recession or inflation issues that we're seeing in the global economy. But they were looking to do so regionally much more than completely globally that tone was was definitely there and i think that's part of what will change financial services in the future as well as what i mentioned earlier covid and ftx have changed the strategies around financial services maybe less bold and less bullish on crypto and much more looking after the 
the population that we serve. There was a lot of, which I, I was welcoming uh, to hear these messages. I wasn't sure I was going to hear them, but messages around, we don't want to see the same issues that we saw in 2008 impacting individuals. We don't want to see mass unemployment. We don't want to see you know people losing their homes. There was a lot of conscience around that, which at least, you know, it's a saving grace. We've learned some lessons from the past, I guess. Yeah, and that's reassuring in a way. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about another subject now, which is about the climate crisis. And for example, there's plenty of talks available online, and I've watched a few of them, one of which was with Algo. How did you find leaders concerned about it? This was probably a low point of Davos for me. I didn't find them very concerned about it. I didn't feel the fire. I didn't feel the fire behind that, that I would have wanted personally to see and not matching the level of strength of the messaging around climate that I'd heard before. So this was definitely a low point um, in the in the level of discussion. I mean, very anecdotally, the number of executive expensive cars blocking up the streets of Davos was not indicative of climate conscience for me. So I'm... I think we, we've got to, as leaders in our various lives, organizations and so on, we've got to walk the talk. And whilst I understand the need for security and et cetera, that, you know, senior leaders need, and I was very thankful to feel safe, you know, in, in the conference. I also think you, you've got to start with, with what people see and you can't have a kilometer of blacked out cars with only one person in them uh, blocking up the street and then to talk about to how serious you are about climate change. So this is this was something that certainly I, I I felt was a low point. Okay, but thanks for sharing again. I mean, not that surprised, but yeah. And what kind of actions were taken? Or do, do you want to share any reasons or realization? I think when it comes to realizations, I I think there is we all live in our bubbles. And going to this really helped me see that I need to make more space for it in my day-to-day, uh, not just reading more. And, and I think we all feel connected because we have the internet, because we have so much access to content information from all around the world. If you're looking for it, you will find. But there's no substitute for face-to-face spontaneous energy and communication. And also, there are very few opportunities where you're really going to meet someone who's articulating a very different perspective. And the more perspective that you have, the more that you listen to, the the more that you can reflect. And that was my my biggest realization. I I and and everyone need to need to open our eyes more. There is actually a really big world out there outside of finance. There are societies all around the world impacted by climate change, impacted by social inequality, impacted by by the different wars that are being fought all over the world, not just in Ukraine. There are certainly some very global issues, some very regional issues that we maybe don't see day to day. Maybe we're not paying them attention. Maybe they're not in the media as much or in our particular focus of our everyday lives or our professions. But certainly... It felt like it was a unique opportunity to talk to different people, and and it's a wonderful world out there. And and this is a that, that was my biggest realization. There's a lot of people working very hard on a lot of topics, uh, wanting to make the world a better place. And uh, often we maybe only hear about our own bubble, 
and maybe we only hear bad news. And there's a lot going on out there to be made aware of, to make yourself aware of, to educate yourself on. So that entire energy was what you felt the most. It was very much passion, focus, purpose, lots and lots of purpose in everyone's speech. Very, very positive message. And that's great to hear. Yeah. And very inspiring and very, yeah, everybody wants to get there, right? (laughs) Big awareness. Which is the talk or the speech which talked to you most or inspired you most, if you had to choose one? What was the talk that inspired the most if I had to choose one? See, that's a tough question because there was, <laughs> there was so much. There really, really, really was so much. But I, I have to say, I have to say that the Jamie Diamond panel in the Equality Lounge impacted me the most. And, and I'll, tell, I'll tell your listeners why. Actually, because it was very, it was very much not what you'd expect. So, let me set the scene. So, the first sort of twenty minutes of it is very rehearsed. It feels like Jamie Dimon is running for president because he's saying all the right things, as if he was incredibly scripted, right? So, as somebody of that, of that stature, you know, somebody with you know forty plus years at the top level of finances globally. And then as, as questions started coming in, he became less scripted and he started to talk about the real impact you can have at scale when you're financing things, the responsibility about what you finance, whether you finance sustainable projects, whether you finance socially responsible projects, what countries are you financing and to support their development? And of course, it starts to show you that this whole thing is way more complex and intertwined than anyone ever gets to see and you know only people in that level of position really can understand and and see where the strings are being pulled it's incredibly interesting but he was hugely inspiring because he was talking at the equality lounge around how he changed how he pretty much he didn't put in as many words but how he'd gone from uh, running an industry that was you know, and a company that was super male dominated where they didn't really see the point of diversity to somebody made a really good job of making it competitive and target orientated for Jamie Diamond. And suddenly he wanted to succeed at that. And how somebody literally said, oh, this just makes good business. I'm just going to do it. It reminded me that there's a much like with COVID, much like with I do change and transformation for a living. People will change when they decide to. And they make the decision. And it reminded me and inspired me that if somebody like that can change to the point where they support and sponsor and champion initiatives like this, that there is hope for this level of change. Hmm. There is real life example. And sometimes we can be cynical and say, well, yes, but bottom line, but this at these top levels can change direction. Reminded me that all of the work that we do is worth fighting for Hmm. again super positive i really like this discussion it's really (laughs) inspiring so to finish i'd like to ask you one question about your own business because you told me when we were having lunch that you're building a business to help people with mortgage so that they get a much fairer interest rate and actually you gave me a statistics which i could not believe that 80 percent of people actually don't remortgage their loans which is absolutely crazy so why is that? And can you tell us more about what you're trying to, to, to achieve? Absolutely. So 
as, as I said at the start, I've spent the last 20 years doing banking and, and digital transformation. And the interesting part of this is that we go through phases in change. Sometimes we focus on costs and sometimes we focus on new technologies and so on. But in the last few years, there's been a big focus on customer journey, customer experience across the industry. And we're shining a light on some things that just don't make sense anymore. Would you go into a branch to do your banking? Of course not. You would go into your app. And mortgages are like that. So 80% of people, which is is astounding, 80% of people stay with the same lender throughout the life of their mortgage. And this is in many markets. I have all the stats if anybody wants them. In many, many markets, uh, people stay with the same lender and the, even after their introductory deal has ended, they don't change it, which is outstanding to people like yourself, like me, like many, probably many of your listeners who might be interested in finance, who are probably quite savvy. They're into managing their money and being empowered with it. But actually, the majority of people are not feeling empowered about their money and they don't really want to remortgage. They don't want to go through the hassle because this product is made to be very difficult to change. So uh, myself and, and my co-founders, we, we started Clinch. We just think this is unfair. We think it should be made easier for people. So what we do is we have members sign up and we pull all your data through various APIs. I have a big background in data transformation and operations, and that's, that's my contribution to this. And, I, and we make it really easy for you to give us the basic stats about your property and the loan that you have, mortgage. And we pull you with people of similar type, similar type of financial means, risk, property, so on. And uh, we we go to banks and we say, we have 100 people like Marie who have a mortgage of X amount, this amount. Can we get them a better deal? Now, as you can imagine, the banks don't really like us. So I'm a little bit poacher turned gamekeeper in in my startup versus my day job. But I really, uh, we're trying to achieve a movement. We're trying to achieve a change so that the industry changes and it becomes fairer for customers that they themselves are proactively offering customers a better deal. They're not leaving them on the existing old deal that is no longer good for them, that the market is being scanned continuously for them. And if there is a better deal out there for their conditions and if their changes, their circumstances have changed, that, that that deal is available for them. So that's the purpose of, of Clinch. Um, we already launched in the Norwegian market. So we are live, um, hoping to launch in a couple more markets coming up. And that's really the idea. My, my focus, as I mentioned throughout this, for me is to improve financial inclusion wherever I can do it, to improve fairness for customers wherever I can do it. And this is this is a project, it's, my, it's, it's, it's our passion, but I think we've all worked in the industry for long enough to know that this is a no-brainer. Anyone I talk to about it, if you ask them, would you like a better mortgage? Did you enjoy the mortgage process? Everyone says yes to the first and no to the second. So let's try and make it a little bit better. Cool. And and how do you get all that energy? Because throughout the talk, you can feel the passion, the energy, the your need to learn and, and meet people and get inspired. How do you, how does it work? <laughs> Um, how does it work? Maybe this one is one for a glass of wine in Caparica. But um, I am passionate about what I do. I love what I do. What I do is try to make um, banking better and fairer. And um, personally, my motivation is is really about 
you know, how can how can things be better? How can we improve it? How can we engage more people through it? So what I always try to do with with my professional life is that make sure it aligns to my purpose. And so financial inclusion is always I've always been passionate about. As I said at the start, I I started my career around the 2008 financial crisis and seeing them the effects of that and seeing the unfairness around products, seeing people lose the value of their mortgages overnight, uh, being evicted from their homes, uh, made me even more motivated that as we saw this uh, recession coming, as we saw COVID, that we needed to do everything that we could and the technology is now available to us to do it. So I get more and more inspired because I'm now able to do things with the technology that we have that I had only ever dreamed about before. Can we service customers in rural Africa? Absolutely, we can. Can we help improve their lives? Absolutely, we can. Microfinancing loans are available. Can we make access to opportunity for development of communities? Absolutely, we can because technology is there for us. So it's just a question of maybe eating well, sleeping lots and uh, staying working hard on your purpose. <laughs> thank you so much, Yeza. We'll um, keep these words for the end. But yeah, thank you so much. I really, really, really enjoyed it and could feel again energy, passion, and yeah, good vibes on these talks. So, at the end of this episode, I hope you're as enthusiastic as I am. You can find the notes and the key takeaways on my website at maricafino.com. And if you like this podcast, Please subscribe and spread the word. Thank you.